You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. We've got a very special guest here today on Daily Star Trek News, Walter Koenig, who you may know from a little show called Star Trek. He's got a new book out. It's an updated version of his memoirs. And as far as I'm concerned, it's a must read. This show is supported by people like you through Patreon. If you enjoy the work we're doing here on Daily Star Trek News, then please consider making a contribution. You can find out more at patreon.com forward slash Daily Star Trek News. Now let's hear from Walter Koenig. So, the book is uh, Beaming Up and Getting Off, Life Before and Beyond Star Trek, and the author is Walter Koenig. Uh, Walter, thank you so much for joining me on Daily Star Trek News. It's a real pleasure to have you here. Ah, my pleasure. Right, good. Um, so uh, I just wanted to start off like for a second and just shamelessly fangirl for like a second and then we'll just get that out of the way. Uh, mm-hmm. I absolutely love your book. Um, I really I couldn't put it down and I found it really personally super inspirational and um, it was uh, it was a good fun read. And I don't know how to put it, but there's so many things that you shared about your life that uh spoke to me personally. And so I really appreciate you actually putting those things into words. And um, thank you for the book is basically what I want to say. Okay. Um, I'm still having a little trouble with the volume, with hearing you. All right. How you sound now? Okay. It, is that a little easier for you to hear me? Okay. Um, all right. So I, I've already, you know, we've already dealt with the technical issues uh, I've already embarrassed myself by being a shameless fangirl, so now I'm going to be super professional and we can actually talk about the book. How does that sound? Well, it's, it, the, the volume is fine. I, okay. like, I, I like the fangirl thing better. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, there might be other moments. You just stay tuned. Um, so I just want to start off by by talking, say, in the front of the book, the very first thing you talk, you, you relay this um, story from the set of Star Trek, which is ridiculous. Uh, at the end of the story, of course, you say, right, Apart from this story, everything else in the book is true, uh, which I loved. Um, but you're a writer, and um, so I believe you that everything was true. But how much literary license did you use on some of those stories? No, I left some things out, but <laughs> of course, but everything is true. It's, I didn't make up anything because uh, the, the one that really stuck out to me that. Um, one of the things that I found inspirational, I'm not sure if that's a good thing. You actually told a story of you literally climbed over a fence in a Hollywood studio or a, a wall to, to get into the studio and give out your, um, your yeah. resumes, um, which is completely insane to me. <laughs> but it seemed to have worked, you know. I never, you know, in thinking about how am I going to get started uh, in Los Angeles. I didn't stay in New York after drama school because I thought that would, the pressure would be so great and I would be rejected everywhere I went. Mm-hmm. And um, my mother w- was in Los Angeles and she had a house and I stayed there for about four months. And, oh, no, the reason I came back was because I was told I had a job in a film with Burt Lancaster and Shelley Winters. Yeah. So that, that was the impetus to come back. And once here... 
I had to face the, the, the fact that I wasn't going to get anywhere unless I persevered, unless I pushed myself a little bit. So one day I, I just did that. I went to ABC Studios. It was on, I think, I think it was Prospect, but it was in East Los Angeles. And um, they did all their daytime uh, soap operas and afternoon shows uh, from there. And I climbed over the fence with a pack of uh, photographs. And I just went down, running in, dropping, not even waiting to say hello. You know, but just, I didn't know how I was going to handle that. So I just drop it on, on a secretary's desk and then and go to the next one. And I went up and down the, uh, the corridor doing that. And I, and I, one of the people on whose desk I dropped the photo was a big fan of an actor named Corey Allen. Corey Allen was the bad guy in Rebel Without a Cause. He's the guy that goes over the cliff. If you, if you, if you Dude, can't. spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> I just he played, played a character that you're, you're, you're kind of happy that he went over the <laughs> And he, he did that. He then went on to, um, he did a few more. Uh, he was a, he was the son of a very famous gangster, by the way, mm. Corey Allen. And then he went on to direct and he directed some Star Trek episodes. Uh, in fact, I think he directed one of the pilots. So wow. there's that to say. I'm curious, you know, that um, your stories of how you kind of made your way into Hollywood early on um, are just, you know, it feels very of a bygone era. Sorry, that's probably really yeah. insulting. But I'm curious from your perspective, how has Hollywood changed over, over time? Like, um, do you think there's people still out there Probably not climbing the wall, but do you think that's that's what it still takes, or is it just a different place now? It's quite different. It's quite different. Uh, the uh, appropriation of of Hollywood by the by engineers uh, is quite com- complete. Mm. Uh, when I was a, a young actor uh, and went on a casting call, this isn't just an example. I, I had my agent with me uh, very frequently. They came along, you know. Uh, it was very nice. You had somebody there to hold your hand. Now you don't even go in, you know. You, you find a, a small studio where they will put you on tape. They'll give you the script right. to read from, and you, and you go home and you memorize it. And then they, cameraman and somebody who reads the words, uh, are, uh, are available and they tape it and they wrap it up and they send it to your agent. And uh, unless you're called in, you never even meet those people. And this isn't just, you know, pandemic stuff. This is how it was. You no, know. no, 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 no. Yeah. This is exactly. Uh, first of all, when I was a young actor, there were maybe a hundred thousand members of the Screen Actor Guild. Mm-hmm. Now there's five times that many wow. or more. And there just isn't the time uh, to see everybody. And, uh, and, they, and, and casting directors and producers and directors would just as well look at you on film because that's the way you're going to be presented if they hire you. Yeah. So 
it, it's all been simplified. And it's good for the actor for one reason, at least from my point of view. Um, there's less stress involved. You know, yeah. if, if I have to go in and read for somebody, I, the chances are I may or may not remember the lines, you know, and be concerned about that yeah. and stumble about. This way it's all done in advance. In fact, they sh- the, the people who shoot me when I go into their little studio, um, they let me look at it. And if I don't like it, we do it again and, and again and again. So yeah. it's much easier in that regard. Yeah. And there's so many more actors now that you can't see everybody that's submitted. Right. So you you tell a lot of stories about like the uh, uh, adverse conditions that you you ended up in and in, in, you know auditions that didn't go anywhere. There's a story about um, I think it was your agent like pulling a gun on you, and I'm I'm like all of these stories. The whole first half of the book. I just wanted to know why didn't you quit? <laughs> you know, you know, you start off when you're talking very young about like um, the other things that you tried to do, and then you kept, and then you just kept acting. And it just amazes me that it, I mean, I know the end of the story because you're here now, but you know, I, I'm still alive. That's yeah. <laughs> I just I can't imagine like all of this. Some of these stories that you went through, I don't understand why you didn't just be like, you know what, this is done what what kept you going why did you keep going yeah well you know that's what i talk to with young actors when when i give a talk uh, i'm somewhere where they where they have congregated um i say you gotta you gotta really really want it either that or there's nothing else in the world that you can that you're equipped to do <laughs> you either act or you know forget about it um and I did, I did suffer the, the, the disappointments and the, and the ego abuse uh, that goes with being an actor. The, the most actors have to uh, traverse at some, at some point. Um, but this is what I knew I could do. This is what I, I had some uh, very uh, modest talent as an amateur, you know, in schools and summer stock and things like that. And it was the only thing in assessing my talents is the only thing that I felt I could be better than just okay. Yeah, it, it's interesting because having having read the book and having seen your career, um, I I mean I think I I talked about your book in my show um, a week or so ago, and I, I I said that I don't think you could have been anything else, and that's kind of a wonderful thing when I see an artist who's like that. It's just kind of a wonderful thing to watch that sort of manifest over time. So I I just think that's incredibly cool. Um, I, I I'm curious, like bringing you now, you know, into the future. You talk a lot about the other shoe syndrome, and mm. I wonder, you know, you've had your career, and do you still suffer from that? Do you still wait for the other shoe? Yeah, sure. And that was there in place before I was an actor. You know, yeah. I, I was waiting for that since the age of three, I think. You yeah. know, I think the shoe syndrome being that you think that things are going well, the other shoe is bound to drop and everything is going to turn to doo-doo, you know. 
Yeah. And, you know, it's not a pleasant side to to be on. But um, for me as a reader, I have to say that's one of the inspirational things about your book. Uh, it feels like a camaraderie because I absolutely suffer from exactly the same thing. When things are going well, I'm, I'm just waiting for the thing to come around and, and knock me off. And so to hear someone like you talk about that in such an open manner was um, was actually really comforting. So, you know. Thank you. you know, it's, 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 inter it's an interesting thing. Uh, and I didn't understand it when the first half dozen people gave me a, uh, a uh, summary of uh, their thoughts about, about the book when, mm -hmm. when, when, they were, when they were actually um, complimenting me about how they feel I, I was talking to them. Yeah. You know, um, I, I didn't, I just wrote it, you know, and uh, I wasn't worried about artifice or any kind of posturing or I, uh, the only way that it would be fun for me is if I made it as real as possible. So what you got is who I am, you know? Yeah. Well, and also, you know, you are a writer, which, um, I, you know, it comes through straight from the beginning. And I was surprised. I mean, I don't I don't know. I know more about your acting side than than I do about your writing credits. And I was really um, I was surprised and impressed at the, the type of prose and how readable and wonderful it is to read. So it was a really enjoyable experience. Um, I told you the fangirl would come back. <laughs> I warned you. I'll be right back with more of Walter Koenig in just a moment, talking about his contributions to Star Trek and specifically The Wrath of Khan. But first, I want to remind you that we can only do shows like this with your support. It's hard work shouting above the crowd, especially in the Star Trek space. And when you support us financially, we can work on getting you more of the Star Trek news you need to know wherever you are. Please consider a monthly contribution through Patreon. You can find out more at patreon.com forward slash daily Star Trek news. That's patreon.com forward slash daily Star Trek news. And a big thanks to you for supporting this show. Now back to my conversation with Walter Koenig. So I want to um, just switch gears a little bit and uh, talk a little bit about uh, Star Trek in particular. And um, <laughs> what? <laughs> what did you say? I'm sorry, I missed that. Yeah, I said who, what, which. When you said uh, right. <laughs> um, so there's a section in your book that I that I think is um, one of the neatest things it's not you know that's not the biggest section but in the appendix you actually include the notes that you wrote to Harv Bennett about um, the wrath of Khan and um, I firstly I just want to say that um, I, I think it's really interesting your choice not to not to mention the whole Khan checkoff thing I think it's a really interesting choice and I highly respect you for that um, but that's not what I wanted to talk about um, I, what I wanted to say was, so they asked you to do a Trekkie run of the script. And I found that really, really interesting um, because it sort of implies that you were, um, that you felt closer to the fans than maybe other cast members or the writers did. Um, and uh, so I wanted to find out from you, uh, do you consider yourself a fan of Star Trek? Well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm. By the way, just to just to um, clean that up, um, I was asked to do a Trekkie run 
because I read the first draft and the first draft had Spock dying in the second act. And I thought that was absolutely as, as, as wrong a decision as you could possibly make. You know, it was Spock, Kirk and the Enterprise. Right. You know, those are the icons. And they have, if, they're, if you're going to get rid of one of them, then it has to be as theatrical and dramatic as possible. Yeah. And um, I assumed that I was repeating what other people had told Hard Bennett and, because that was his first film with us. And to my utter amazement, astonishment, no one had. No one had mentioned it. I mean, that's just the literary tenant that you, that you live by. You know, you don't kill off your most important characters, uh, you know, halfway through the story. So I wrote, I, I wrote him that note. In fact, no, I called him and he was rather rude. He said, look, I don't talk to actors. <laughs> and I'm not, no, I said, I'm not calling you as an actor. I'm calling you about your script. And I'm sure you've heard this before, et cetera, et cetera. Well, he hadn't, but he was sufficiently impressed that when, um, after, some, after some consideration, he uh, asked me if I would do a trekking run on things that uh, were awkwardly written or not consistent with what we had done. And there weren't a great many things. There were little things, a lot of little things. I don't remember any of them, but I do remember writing back and, and the telling that we wouldn't say this. We wouldn't do that. There would not be out of camera range. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I have to say, as a as a Star Trek fan, like it, it, to you, it probably seems really in, innocuous. But those notes that you made are things that Trek Star Trek fans, those of us who like, like needle over every bit of canon. Mm. Absolutely. Um, I appreciate the level of detail that you that you gave in those comments, things like, I think somebody was was scripted to say the Klingon neutrality zone, which isn't a thing, you know, and you picked up on that. Or, um, you know, Kirk would never say ox power. He would say auxiliary power and you know, little things like that, that I would never expect an actor to pick up on. But as a as a fan, you absolutely would. And that's why, like when we're done not immediately but when we're done with this i plan on taking those notes and going back and watching the film and seeing how many of those things i can spot because they to me it was as good as like a director's cut like it was really um really interesting fascinating reading from the point of view of somebody who was watching the movie or you know would be watching the movie i guess in the future and that's kind of why you know the question came up whether you consider yourself a fan or or are you because you were an actor and because you've been involved in conventions and everything are you too far on the other side of the mirror to be able to like sit down and watch star trek and understand like and appreciate the universe well I've, I've said time and again ad nauseum that if I had to be identified with one entity uh, in, in this in, in industry, it, it, it might just as well be Star Trek as anything else. Because I, I do believe in the socio-political tenant that is, you know, uh, reprised in uh, many of the episodes. I do believe that we... Uh, that humanity uh, is 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 a virtue, and that we need to uh, do better 
by what we can do, by the good things that uh, that are the challenge for us. Um, Star Trek had a lot of good stories uh, that uh, many people think and say, well, you know, the future could be a better place, and hopefully it will be. And, and, and principally, the, the simplest thing, the thing that is right in front of your face on, on every story, in every story is that we have those seven people on the bridge, you know? You have the African-American and the Japanese-American and the, and the Vulcan and the, and the Russian and the, and the uh, actor who, the over-the-top actor. <laughs> <laughs> no, so anyway, uh, so I thought that's important and that's what we've got to believe in and, and hope to achieve, that we have a world where we all get along. Where we we're, we're we're all uh, one species, and that um, we're that we're there for each other. I'm really glad that you said that, actually, because I wanted to um, quote yourself back at you. <laughs> um, there is a quote in here. I'm going to actually read it. Hang on, because I bookmarked it. Okay. That's the level of nerd that I am. You don't and dog ear the pages, though, do you? What's that? You don't dog ear the oh, pages. Oh, no. No, if anything, I, I have little sticky markers. But um, no, you're talking generally about conventions. I believe this is in the second part of the book, the, the, more, the more recent editions. And you said, the convention fans I've met are not nerdy people in weird costumes. They're the life's blood of a better world. Believe it. And I just, I read that and I thought, there's a guy who gets it. Um, and, you know, again, speaking as a fan, I really appreciated that sentiment from you. Well, that's it for part one of my conversation with Walter Koenig. Stay tuned for Monday's show where we'll be talking about social justice, his complicated history with communism, and what's next for Walter Koenig. This has been Daily Star Trek News. We're supported by people like you through Patreon. Find out more and add your support at patreon.com forward slash daily Star Trek news. I'm Allison Pitt. Have a wonderful weekend and live long and prosper. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.